0: You can become an expository preacher for a little while, and that means you go through a passage of scripture verse by verse, line by line, and you comment on it. And I wanted to do so by going through one of the most beloved chapters in the whole Bible, ranking right up there with Psalm 23 for many people, and Luke 15, the story of the lost son, is John chapter 14, where Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples on the night before He's going to be crucified. And He begins to speak to them. And I wanted to go through John 14 over the next several weeks as we lead up to the season of Lent. And so that's where we are right now. John 14. I was just going to read verses 6 through 11. But for those of you who weren't here last week, I'll just start with the beginning of the chapter and so that you'll kind of be caught up. Not that I'm going to take the time to preach that whole message from last week but if you're interested in listening to it you can go online and listen to that message and or you can read it either way Jesus in the upper rooms with the disciples says don't let your hearts be troubled you believe in God now believe also in me another word we could use there is trust he's saying trust in God trust in me and as I told you last week the verbs are in the present imperative tense And so, really, what he's saying there, keep trusting God and keep trusting me. For there are many rooms in my Father's house. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you, but now I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I will come back and get you and take you to be with me so that we can be together forever. And you know the way in which I'm going. And Thomas says, we don't know the way, so how are we going to get there? And Jesus says... I am the way, and the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Key verse from last week, and it's kind of leading us off today also. I am the way, and the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Um, Of those three predicate nouns there, the way, and the truth, and the life, Surely the way is the most important of those three. As we saw last week, Jesus is talking about the way in which to get to his Father. And as we saw last week, that way is the way of the cross. Do you remember that from last week? The way of the cross leads home. We quoted that old hymn from Jesse Pounds. The way of the cross leads home. I love this verse. The way I think about it is, I am the way, and that's the truth, and this truth leads to life. That's kind of what I'm thinking that Jesus is saying there. I'm the way, and that's the truth, and that truth leads to life. But we will continue on here now. From there, Jesus is kind of changing, in a sense, segueing to a new topic. If you had really known me, you would have known who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father And we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father, who lives in me, does his work. Through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. This ends the reading for today. The obvious uh, theme of this is Jesus and his Father. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we do, I'd like you to pray with me, if you would. Our Heavenly Father, this is your word. We hold it dear and precious to our hearts, especially since these words are the words of Jesus. We pray that you would help us come to greater understandings of what it means that you are the Father of Jesus and that He is in you and you're in Him. Help us to sort all this out and come to some conclusions about what this means for us today, for we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, say Peter's standing up in heaven and he's greeting the people who are coming by, and it's his job to interview them a little bit and decide who's getting in and that sort of thing. And he's kind of getting tired one day and he happens to see Jesus come along and says, Jesus, can you come over here and spell me for a little while? I need to go run a couple of errands. And uh, Jesus says, Yeah, I guess I think I can handle it. What do I need to do? He says, I just talk to the people about what they did on earth and decide whether or not you think they should get in or not. So, Jesus says, I can handle that. And Peter goes off, and the first person to go up to Jesus is a wrinkled old man. Jesus said to him, what did you do when you were on the earth? And he said, I was a carpenter. And Jesus, reflecting back on his own boyhood experience, says, well, uh, my father was too. He says, did you have any family when you were on the earth? And and this wrinkled old man says, yeah, I had a son, but but I lost him. And Jesus leans in a little closer and says, you had a son, but you lost him? Can you? Can you tell me anything about him? Yeah, he said he had holes in his hands and in his feet. Jesus leans in a little closer and says, Father? And the wrinkled old man said, Pinocchio? (laughs) Ready to move on? In this passage of Scripture, Philip has a big ask. It's one of the biggest asks in the Bible. Jesus, show me the Father and I will be satisfied. It's a big ask. That's the way I think of that. Where does uh, Peter get off asking such a question? You might as well ask to see the man on the far side of the moon or something like that. It's a bold and audacious uh, ask. You know, I'm sure that... Uh, Philip was aware of the Old Testament picture of what it was like to ask to see the Father. Um, It was a risky venture to want to see God in the Old Testament. Uh, Moses made a Philip-like request when he said to God, let me see your glorious presence. Do you remember how God answered Moses? He said to him, no one can see my face and live. A little while later, Isaiah has a vision where he sees the Lord sitting on his throne, lofty in the temple, and there was thunder and lightning. And and in his vision, Isaiah is smart enough to say, Woe is me, I'm a dead man, for I have seen the Lord face to face, and I'm a sinful man. Yeah, in the Old Testament, it was a risky thing to want to see God the Father. So what is up with Philip? Is he overly brave or is he just plain stupid? I don't know. I think we're going to see here in a little bit that Jesus has toned down that threatening image of the God of the Old Testament, and it prompts Philip to say, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. If Philip's claim was bold, Jesus' reply is audacious. Jesus replies, when you've seen me, you have seen the Father this is the high point of John's Christology Jesus is not only a teacher he's not only a healer he's not only a guide he is God in the flesh as Paul said to the Colossians there he is the visible presence of an invisible God and God in all his fullness was pleased to dwell in Christ and what John is trying to get across to us is what Jesus has been telling his disciples throughout this gospel in many different ways and forms, that he and the Father are one and the same. John 10, 38. I and my Father are one in the same. Jesus is claiming here to be the Father. To be the Father. Uh, A third century, uh, one of the early church fathers, his name was Origen and uh, he came up with an analogy thinking about this and he asked his uh, followers to imagine a city that had a huge statue of someone but the statue was so tall that the people in the village could not see who it was the statue was made out of and then somebody came along and miniaturized the statue and enabled the people to see exactly who it was and Origen said that's what Christ has done for us and God. He was such, so huge and all but God miniaturized himself and showed us Jesus so that when we could look at Jesus, we know that we're seeing uh, the Father. Dale Bruner, a modern theologian, says this. Paul tells us Christ is the self-miniaturization of God, the visible icon or image of the invisible God. For in Christ we have God in a comprehensible way. In Christ we have God's own personal and definitive visit to the planet. Jesus is God. Bold claim, all of us need to come to terms with that if we haven't already, that Jesus indeed is God. Now Philip's probably thinking such a bold claim like that needs some proof and Jesus gives it in verse 10 in a couple of different ways. He refers to both his words and his deeds. First of all he says, the words I speak are not my own, he's talking about the things that he said to his disciples and indeed if we only had the Gospel of John to inform us about these things we're talking about. I'm talking about if we only had the Gospel of John the rest of the Bible could go away. If we only had the Gospel of John there would be enough evidence right in that Gospel for us to understand that Jesus is God. He's been teaching them that all along through his words. As I thought about this the other day, the first thing that came to my mind are the seven I Am sayings of the Gospel of John. I've preached series of messages on these at Easter time, maybe five years ago. You might recall that if you were here five years ago. The seven I Am sayings of the Gospel of John. They're called the seven I am sayings, and they're special because really each time Jesus makes one of these I am sayings, like I am the bread of life is the first one, he's really saying in the original Greek language, I, I am. He's using the pronoun with the verb that contains the pronoun, and the little translation is I, I am the bread of life. And what Jesus is claiming by saying I, I am, he's hearkening right back to Exodus chapter 3 where God is calling Moses to be his prophet and Moses says who shall I say the God is that's sending me and God answers I tell them that I I am are sending you I'm sending you so when Jesus uses this phrase I I am the disciples know very clearly that he's claiming to be the same God who called Moses to be his prophet And so in this Gospel of John, we have, I, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry. I am the light, I, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I am the gate for the sheep. The sheep that comes in and goes out through me will be saved. I am the good shepherd, I know my own and my sheep know me and I lay down my life for my sheep. I am the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me." And in chapter 15 Jesus is going to speak his last I am saying where it says, I, I am the vine, and you are the branches, and he who remains in me and I in him. Will bear much fruit." I could spend a lot of time talking about how each one of those predicates has a lot to do with Old Testament, I mean with the vine. In the Old Testament God is known as the vine, God the Father, and now Jesus is saying, now I'm the vine. So in each one of these famous seven I am statements that stick out in the Gospel of John, Jesus is claiming to be the Father and Philip's saying, show us the Father, and it's enough. And Jesus said, I haven't I been with you all this time? You still don't know me? Haven't you heard the words that I've said? He's claiming that the words back up his claim. And secondly, the deeds. My Father who lives in me does his work through me. And again, if we only had the Gospel of John to tell us about the deeds of Jesus, we would have enough. Going along with the seven I Am sayings, there's seven signs in the Gospel of John. Seven signs or miracles in the Gospel of John. I'll reference them very quickly. Chapter two, Jesus turns the water to wine. Chapter four, he heals the Roman soldier's son. Chapter five, he heals the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. Chapter six, he feeds the 5,000. Later in chapter six, he walks on the water. Chapter nine, he heals the man born blind. And chapter 11, he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus is saying to Philip, don't you believe me yet? You've heard my teachings, you've seen my deeds. Can't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? So Philip needs some proof and Jesus gives it to him. But as I conclude this section, let me say, make no mistake about it. Jesus is not merely the agent of God who has come into the world to say the things that God would say and do the things that God would do. He's not merely the agent. What he's claiming here is, he is God. And he's saying to Philip, and he's saying to you and me, believe it. You better believe it. All right. What does this mean for you and me today? What does it mean to call God Father for you and me today? How can we apply this to our lives? What can we think about it? I've got a couple things I want to say about it. The first thing I want to say about it is that when Jesus speaks about God as His Father, I think He's telling us that His Father loves us more than we can ever, ever even begin to comprehend or understand. He's telling us that God loves us more than we could ever love our own children. Um, Jesus refers to his Father in the Gospel 179 times. 179 times, not in just John, but all four Gospels. Jesus refers to his Father 179 times. He says things like this: <clears throat> God, the Father, is the one who gives good gifts to his children. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He. Uh, Dresses them more splendidly than the flowers of the field he feeds them more faithfully than the birds of the air The father that Jesus speaks of is not a stern and distant taskmaster He's a devoted daddy Who comes running to his children in their darkest hour? Jesus speaks of a God the father who loves us more than we can even love our own children I was thinking about this. I don't know any perfect parents any perfect parents in the room here (laughs) but most of us know what kind of characteristics we would expect of good parents don't we we have expectations of good parents we expect our parents to love us unconditionally we expect them to guide us and to teach us we expect our parents to set boundaries for us and yet at the same time give us the freedom to explore and even fail We expect our parents to pick us up when we fall and hold us when we're in pain. We expect our parents to um, believe in us when other people would doubt us. And we expect our parents to claim us in our moments of shame, don't we? I was not a perfect father by any stretch of the imagination, but just being a father gives us, or any kind of being a parent, gives us a glimpse into the heart of God. I can still recall the first time I held Jennifer, first of all, in my hands when she was born. And then Brian and Sarah. You guys can recall that, many of you can. And all you want to do as a parent at that time, when you're holding that child for the very first time, all you want to do is pour out your love and bless that child. And keep that child safe and secure and protect that child. That's all we want to do is bless those children. I can, I can remember coming in the middle of the night when I worked on the railroad and I'd get home at 2, 3, or 5 o'clock in the morning. And before I would go to bed, I would always go into the room of my children. And I'd stand down there looking at them. And then I would hold my breath momentarily until I held, heard the welcoming rhythm of their own breathing do You know what that is? And then if they had somehow kicked the covers off or something like that, I would very carefully so as not to wake them. I'd pick up the covers and I'd cover them back up and I'd put the you know, cover right at the primo spot so as not to disturb them. And in those moments of innocence and blessing, any mischief that those kids of mine had got into earlier that day is all forgotten. We love them unconditionally. They're our children, right? What Jesus is trying to say when he tells us that he's the Father is that our Heavenly Father loves us much more perfectly than we could ever love our own children as much as we love them. And I think we're to get that out of this when Jesus says, whenever he uses the phrase, my Father in heaven. He loves us. He sets boundaries for us. He gives us guidelines. To be sure, he gives us the freedom to explore and fail. But he's ever hopeful that we will learn from our mistakes and experience the blessing of maturity. And he believes in us when other people might doubt us. He's even willing to claim us in our shame. That's who our Heavenly Father is. Speaking of claiming us in our shame, let me tell you what happened to me on the day before the seventh grade. It was the day before the seventh grade started. Don't look at me that way, Gail. (laughs) She's shaking her head. It was a nice sunny day. I was with my cousin Mark, he and I were both the same age, we lived in the same town, five minutes away from each other. I called up Mark on the day before school started, said, Mark, we've got to do something exciting today, school starts tomorrow, what are we going to do? Chip Thompson, the mutual friend of ours, had just stopped by Mark's house. Mark says, why don't you come down to my place? So I walked down to Mark's place and there was Chip and Mark and I. And I was friends with a girl, her name was Becky, she was in the ninth grade, I had a crush on her for some reason she had a crush on me. And I said to Mark and Chip, you know what? I bet if we go over to Becky's house, her parents are both working today. Why don't we go over there? So I went over to Becky's house and knocked on the side door and Becky came to the door and says, well, my parents aren't home, but I got a friend in here with me. Why don't you guys come in and we'll have a glass of iced tea and play a nice game of pinochle. If you believe that, I'll tell you 100 other ones. <laughs> I'll spare you the details. Now, suffice it to say, a couple hours later, we were pouring copious amounts of hot coffee down Chip's throat and holding him fully clothed under a cold shower. When he got out of the shower, he was so upset with us said, I'm leaving. He went outside. The next door neighbor was out weeding in his garden and Chip decided to water the flowers in the garden. <clears throat> I won't tell you how about five minutes later, the Magador police cruiser pulled in the driveway, rounded us up, and took us to the Huskow for a couple hours of incarceration and interrogation. Where the first thing out of my mouth was, please don't call my mom. Yeah. And the first thing out of his mouth was to pick up the phone and said, Mrs. K. Meyer, do you know where your son is? My dad was working that day. My mom didn't drive, didn't have a car, so my mom told the police officer, you're gonna to have to keep him down there until my husband gets home from work at 10.30 tonight. And the police officer says, I'm not keeping him down there, I'll, I'll bring him home. So he put me in the cruiser and took me home, and I went in the house, and he explained what they had found. And my mom said to me, just wait till your dad gets home. So I went down in the basement into my bedroom and I heard my dad pull in and went upstairs and was called for dinner actually, went upstairs and sat down at the table and I'll never forget the moment that my eyes met my dad's eyes. And we just all sat there, all six of us, waiting and waiting, waiting for my dad to say something. And finally, I couldn't take it anymore. And I said, Dad, aren't you going to say something? And he looked at me and he said, let's have dinner, son. And in my moment of shame, he claimed me and reminded me that I was still his son. Now, to be sure, he grounded me until Christmas. (laughs) But he let me know that I was still his son. And I'm here to let you know that our Heavenly Father knows us through and through. And even though we sometimes feel like we don't deserve his love, he claims us even in our deepest moments of shame. This is how much God the Father loves us. And ultimately, God loves us so much that he went to the cross. I couldn't bypass this because I was thinking about Philip. And less than 12 hours from this little pericopee that we just looked at here, this passage of Scripture, as it were, less than 12 hours, Philip is going to be standing there before a cross. And I couldn't help but wonder if Philip is hearkening back to when Jesus just said to him, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Here's Philip before the cross. Is he thinking about that? I don't know. But when Jesus talks about the Father loving us so much and that he and the Father are one in the same, we cannot pass by this scripture without realizing that God loves us so much. I mean, we here what we have is God on a cross. God on a cross. We can't even begin to hardly fathom that we can imagine easily a God who punishes but a God who would willingly go to a cross for you and for me think about his love think about his goodness think about his grace that's brought us through for as high as the heavens above so great is the measure of our Father's love that he was willing to be on a cross for you and for me Brennan Manning whose name was originally Richard Manning, he became a Jesuit priest, famous keynote speaker across the country and author. Brennan Manning talks about how he took on the first name of Brennan. It's a fascinating story. Growing up, his best friend in the Bronx, New York, his best friend was Ray Brennan. And uh, they did everything together. They went to school together. They bought a car together and shared it. Uh, They double dated together. They did everything together. They joined the army together, went through boot camp together, and even fought together in the Korean War. One night they were in a foxhole and Brendan Manning, Richard Manning, was talking about old times in the Bronx and, and his friend Ray was sitting there eating a chocolate bar when suddenly a hand grenade came into that foxhole. And Ray immediately looked at that hand grenade, dropped his chocolate bar, smiled one last smile at Richard Manning and jumped on that hand grenade and was immediately killed. But Richard Manning survived that event. Years later he talks about going to visit Ray's mother in an apartment in the Bronx. and They're sitting there talking through the evening having a cup of tea and towards the end of the evening Richard Manning, Brennan Manning, says to his friend ray's mother do you think that ray loved me and ray's mother got up off the couch and put her finger in his face what more could he do to you to show you how much love that he had for you and brendan manning says that right then and right there he had an epiphany he saw himself before the cross sometimes he wondered does god really love me And he saw Jesus' mother Mary come up to him and said, what more could he do for you than what he's doing right now? God on a cross. So when Brennan Manning became a priest, he was encouraged, the kind of priest he became, they had to take the first name of a saint. And that's why he took the name and became known as Brennan Manning, for his friend Ray gave his life for him but the epiphany of seeing God uh, on the cross there. And what more could he do for you? And sometimes we wonder if God loves us, but what this image of God is showing us is that no matter what happens, no matter how far we think we've sunk or how far we are away from God, this image of God is telling us he can reach down and pick us up and bring us to himself through his love and his grace. Uh, There's this story back in 1989, an earthquake happened in Armenia. Over 30,000 people were killed in this earthquake, 1989. There was a father whose son was going to school. This father's mantra for his son all throughout his life was, I will always be there for you, son. And he went down to the school to see what happened to the school after the earthquake, and the school was flattened. And this mantra that he had told his son all these years growing up, I'll never, I'll always be there for you, son. It kept going through his head. He didn't know what else to do. So he remembered that his schoolroom was in the back right-hand corner of the school. And he went back there and started digging through rubble. He dug for six or eight hours. And other parents who had come by began to tell him, you know what, it's no use, they're all dead by now. And he would just look up at these other parents and he'd say, are you going to help me now? After 12 hours, a, a policeman came by and said, it's no use, you might as well go home. And he looked at the policeman and said, are you going to help me now? 24 hours, some firemen came by and said, you might as well give up. He looked at the fireman and said, you're going to help me now? This father kept digging and digging and digging through the rubble for 24, 36, and in the 38th hour, he pulled a boulder back and heard some kids talking. He said, Armand! His son was Armand. He yelled out his son's name and it said, Father! And then he said something else that was very important to this father. He said, there are two of my friends here with me. I've been telling them that you said you would always be there for me. I've been telling them, just wait long enough. My dad will come and save us. And when he saves me, he will save you too. Thanks, father, he said, for never giving up on me. It's a great story. The father would never give up on any of us. Never give up on any of us. and now i found the greatest love of all is mine since you laid down your life, the perfect sacrifice. Majesty, majesty, your grace has found me just as I am, empty handed, but alive in your hand. This is our Heavenly Father, will you pray with me? Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus, for those words that fell from his lips in the upper room, whereby he claimed, that he and the Father were one and the same. Help us not only to believe this truth, but experience it in our lives as the greatest love of all. No matter who we are or what we've done, we are welcome to come home to you, our Heavenly Father, through our faith in God on a cross. I pray for any in this room, who might be coming to that conclusion for the first time today, that you would lead them by the way of the cross. Forgive our sin. Come into our lives. Help us to begin to live for you. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.